I just came by to stir your soul up a bit. This is the Perfectly Imperfect Podcast with Regina and Christine, where we share our stories as women openly and honestly. We believe it's through our journeys, our happy and sad times that connect us as sisters, because we're all perfectly imperfect. So welcome back to a very special episode of Perfectly Imperfect. I am Christine. And I'm Regina. And we are so excited because this is our 25th episode. Oh, so exciting. I know, right? It just felt like yesterday that we just started this podcast and now we're on, what's 25? Is it like silver? It's a not quarter. quarter. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is it like, you know, they're like silver, gold anniversary? Oh, is it like copper? I have bronze oh I, I that i actually have no idea <laughs> well we've hit our quarter mark so to celebrate not only for you guys but really for us <laughs> we have our very very first special guest and she was the first person we thought of when i asked regina i was like who do you want as your first guest and we both said her so <laughs> at the, like pretty much at the same time yeah. too <laughs> We are so thankful and so grateful that she made time out of her super busy schedule to come talk with us. I don't know, I feel like we should have a drum roll. Yeah. <laughs> Here, why don't, why don't you introduce her, Regina? Okay, so our very first guest is Wendy. Hi! Yay! It should be like cats meowing in the background. I know. Okay, okay we'll add, add that, that too. too. <laughs> you guys may know Wendy as Wendy's Lookbook. And Aww. the ultra fabulous, super stylish, and inspirational Wendy. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, of course. Thank you for having me. Yay. So, Wendy, I saw that you have a new kitty named Sherlock. I do, I do. And he is so spazzy, just like Sherlock, <laughs> like the character. <laughs> so yeah, but Sherlock is, is adorable, though. And they're, they're getting along. Sam and Sherlock are getting along. And, oh, yeah. yeah. I saw that you were on the bed with both of them, and they were both, like, yeah. on either side. And yeah. No, that was heaven, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no one can wake me up from that. <laughs> and it was so coming. cute. Sherlock's little arm was on your oh. arm. and He's a hugger. <laughs> Oh. He's a total hugger. He loves to hug everybody. You know, it's, he's, he's so adorable. Yeah, and they're, they're really, really just like really good kitties. I got so lucky with them. I so know, I feel like funny. having a special relationship with a pet is something that is indescribable. You know, mm -hmm. people related to having children, mm -hmm. but it's also on a different level when you're able to mm -hmm. connect with another species in that intimate mm -hmm. level that you didn't think that could be and mm -hmm. it is the way that your personality and their personality molds with each other and I think that's really special I think animals are the greatest teachers in what love can be yeah and that's the, you know what let's just go straight into <laughs> what this episode is I feel like that's the perfect um segue that is into. our perfect segue better than all the other segues we have <laughs> This week, we wanted to explore the idea of soulmates because soulmates is a term that gets thrown around so often. Really want to know what your belief and our beliefs are when it comes to just, is there just that one person made for you and your soul? Do we believe in that? And if so, how does that affect how you find love or how you are in love with your partner? And then mm -hmm. we also want to know how does that affect being in a relationship and tying that into love language, which is something mm -hmm. that I feel 
Wendy was the one who really taught me about love language. And I was like, oh my God, girl, yeah. I can see how that can really make or break a relationship. And Mm -hmm. having an understanding of it. And if you and your partner are speaking the same love language. And if not, how do you adjust accordingly? Maybe, Regina, you could start us off. And, you know, what is your definition of what you think a soulmate Mm -hmm. is to you? I think that all of us as young girls, we all grow up with this idea of a Disney prince and there's that fairy tale story and a happily ever after. And I think that for me, I really believed in that growing up. And then as I started getting older and kind of beat down by the world where, you know, there are relationships that last and don't last. And it started to kind of change my perspective on the way that I saw love. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to soulmates, I think it's such a magical and wonderful idea, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I necessarily believe in one soulmate. There's so many people in this world, billions of people in this world. So I think that it's possible to be soulmates with several people, but it's timing Mm -hmm. that brings those two together that matches, you know, the soulmate and then timing. And then that's who you're supposed to be with. Mm. That's kind of my take on what soulmates means to me. So you don't believe that you end up with your soulmate like that's destiny as in everyone's destiny or whoever believes in soulmates whoever you end up with should be your soulmate forever yes I think that in that, uh, yes, I know that in in today's society where so many people are getting divorced and all of that and people don't take relationships as seriously anymore, I think I'm still one of the really big believers that there is one person that, you know, as difficult as it gets, that's the person that you stick with because the timing worked. You guys were meant for each other because of the timing. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm Wendy, do you believe in soulmates? (laughs) I think so. And I think that's like the honest answer. I also think that someone can grow into being a soulmate too. Mm. That doesn't necessarily have to be like the first thing that you think of when you meet this person. I think we start out with a very passionate love, which is what a honeymoon phase is, right? In a relationship, very passionate, this feeling of anxiety and, and excitement and everything. And that passionate love can grow into a compassionate love. And that can bloom kind of like another layer of soulmate connection to as well. I, you know, I didn't grow up watching those fairy tales. Like, oh, you didn't? Yeah, I, I didn't. No, I didn't. Oh, I, it's, wow. I, I didn't actually watch that many like Disney or princess movies. I watched more of them when I got older. But um, growing up, I wasn't really introduced to any of that. And my household was a little bit uh, unstable to begin with in that sense where growing up, And growing up with so many changes and the definition of relationship change, I lived with so many different families. So I think my connection with just love, which is what what I think the foundation of soulmates is, is like it's unconditional love, right? right? So I think my relationship with love and my relationship with just like having a relationship, I guess, was very rocky to begin with. So as an adult, I still battle with the definition of soulmate or the or the meaning of soulmate or the meaning of unconditional love, mm-hmm. you know? And because of that, I think that's why I'm saying that I kind of believe in it. I, I like it in theory, like in my head, but I think I have to come to a place within myself to say, be vulnerable enough to say, you know, if there is something like that out there, that connection that you have with someone that you can potentially call a soulmate here and then later, are you able to like put your guard down to to experience that to the fullest? Yes, yes, I totally agree. And we'll get into that too about how this belief affects how we are in relationships and what we've Mm -hmm. learned too. 
But going back to what you were saying about just the unconditional love that, quote unquote, a soulmate is supposed to give. And the idea of that, right? Finding someone that, I think when people think of soulmates, it's supposed to be the missing piece of the puzzle mm. to you. Like everything that you're not, this person is supposed to give and provide and vice versa. And you guys just get each other. You just click. There's this undeniable destiny that you guys share without really knowing. And I kind of feel for me and my experience, similar to you, Wendy, where I grew up in a very tumultuous type of family environment while also watching a lot of Disney movies. <laughs> so <laughs> the fantasy and reality contrasted a lot since my childhood. And yeah. because of that, I think it affected how I saw relationships and not just in a mm-hmm. romantic sense because I didn't feel like I got that unconditional love in a family environment. I think I sought that in friendships. So I believe that soulmates aren't just restricted to just a romantic partner. I feel like you can have soulmates that are in friendships and in mm-hmm. family and in different types of relationships that you encounter and they fulfill you in different ways. Because I think the idea of having one person fulfill your everything is a really hefty burden to carry. Because <laughs> when we talk about unconditional love, I can't even give unconditional love. As much as I want to, I feel like I'm still at a place where I'm learning about that. And I actually don't know if humans can give unconditional love. I feel like there's always a layer of your threshold of how much, like the line that you draw. Where like, Mm -hmm. I just, I can't give any more. Versus Mm -hmm. unconditional love should just be unconditional, right? (laughs) But I think it's so healthy that you're even identifying that. You know, that what your capacity is. Because I think living a lie, if you think you can do more and, you know, and your heart and soul can only do so much, it's it's crazy because I think, and I really admire how you were able to seek this, like, in your friends and everything else. Like, for me growing up, I did the opposite. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, if my parents or guardian can't provide me with this unconditional love, that must mean that no one can. So I just shut down. And this is an adult thing that I'm working through, too. It's like I really have a hard time opening up to other people to even experience what you're saying, you know, and, and even ex- to see experiences unconditional love. And a lot of times when I was growing up or even in my adulthood, I would always, like, reframe the love to something else. Like, oh, they're nice to me because they must want something in return. And, like, getting older, I'm learning to break down that. Because it's really not about them at all. You know, it's just about me and how I interpret the the message. But, yeah, soulmates and unconditional love, I think, goes, you know, hand in hand. That's why I love my cat. (laughs) (laughs) Your cat is your soulmate. No, I was going to say, Sam is your your feline soulmate. He is. He's, And it's, I think... Maybe because the fear of getting rejected yeah. and the fear of getting hurt. I can't see that in Sam. You know, he's a cat. He, he can't really hurt me much. So because of that, I feel like I've lowered my wall to allow this unconditional love to pour in and pour out. Like to but accept d- that love. Yeah. yeah. But doing it with a human being is different. Completely different. I think that looking back at my childhood too, I had a good relationship with friends and family, but because everything was seemingly essentially so fairy tale, I'm really afraid of starting something because I'm just afraid that it's not going to work out the way I want it to. So instead of trying and failing, I just don't try. Or it's like one of those things where if I'm getting along with someone really well, I'm afraid to take that next step and open up because I'm like, well, 
I don't know where this is going to end and what if it doesn't end up what I imagined it to be, it's easier to shut down first than it is to give it that breath and live. You know, I think as I've gotten older, I really enjoy the journey and not so much the destination anymore in regards to like soulmates and relationship. Even if I get hurt, I figure I'll probably learn a lot more than if I don't do it. So in that sense, it's I'm giving myself the permission to be okay with getting hurt if that's the case, oh, you know. I really and like then, that. Yeah. You know, and and then if if I go into it and it doesn't work out, which it happens many times, you know, it doesn't work out. At least you know I've learned something about myself. I think I hope right. that I can carry that lesson to the next person and mm-hmm. you know and to grow from that. Easier said than done, I'll tell you that, because I remember I was miserable. I couldn't get out of bed listening to Adele and Sam Smith. Oh, you know? Adele. I know. <laughs> Always there for us when I we know. need her. I love her. And yeah, and I was like, oh gosh, this is torturous. And it feels like your heart is about to explode out of your body. It's, yeah. it's a very, you know, mental and physical like experience when you have heartache, you know, and why would you want to do it again? Do I give this love idea another try or whatever it is? But yeah. I'm so happy that now, in hindsight, everything's always better in hindsight, right? (laughs) Now, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I'm so happy I went through that. But going through it was was miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I think, for me, the idea of soulmates, I became very cynical throughout my dating journey. Mm -hmm. And I let go of the idea of having like that one person be your everything type of or it just got more and more jaded and now that I'm with Jack I was single for like six years to really like learn to love me and know myself Mm -hmm. for me versus trying to find that in somebody else I think I still have a great fear of being completely vulnerable in a relationship with Mm -hmm. a man digging in deeper that probably pertains to my relationship with my father and growing up and now and all that so I have this innate fear that all men will disappoint (laughs) (laughs) and that um that type of hurt can be so intense because it's on another level of openness because you're intimate, like you, you share another side to you that's, to me, it's like a softer side, a more intimate, deeper side of myself. And I always hold a part of myself back. And mm-hmm. I've learned that by doing so, I'm only cheating myself out of what that relationship could be. And it's almost like I'm already saying like it's going to fail even before I've given it a chance that's a lesson that I'm still learning. And that's why I really like what you said about giving yourself permission to get hurt or to learn to see it that way. Because I always come out of it feeling guilty. Like, why didn't you know any better? You saw the signs. Why didn't you guard your heart a little bit more? Why did you open up so much? And it becomes more of like a self-blaming game because I'm someone that always wants to know what I did wrong and mm-hmm. what I could learn and do better the next time. So I can't change what he does or what, what other people, how they act, but I can change the way that I act. But I think I did it in kind of a detrimental way more than allowing myself to blossom from that. Well, I, I, yeah. but I think that that's the, the root of all hurt, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think when you feel hurt, you instinctively look within yourself first. Like the whole question is, could I have done more or would I do wrong or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of that battle. And then giving it time, I think it starts to mature and blossom into much more of a external kind of shape. But I think well, nowadays, I, 
I feel like women are a little hard on themselves, as in because of the kind of the social world of dating, you know, and it's a little bit harder now, you know, to meet people and to date. And I've heard horror stories of my girlfriends going on like Tinder dates and I don't know what else is there, like <laughs> breakfast and bagel. Oh, I don't know. Online <laughs> dating is terrible. Right? You know, it's, it's crazy. And I feel like they go into it knowing it's not going to work out. Oh, he's not going to text me back. And I can't imagine having that to be the experience that repeats itself over and over again. You know, and I mean, how can one not be jaded if that's what you're going through in, in this kind of day and age of dating? So I think naturally women are harder on themselves when it comes to this. And how do you open yourself up when you're having these experiences all the time? I think that's mm-hmm. terrible. And yeah. speaking from personal experience of having gone through that, it is very easy to get jaded because then it's like coffee dates drink dates. It's never like, Hey, I want to spend time with you and actually get to know what you let's do an activity that one of us like would really enjoy. It's never like that. I don't know how you guys do it. (laughs) So Wendy, well, it's not new anymore. Your relationship with Colin, it's, I feel like I've been seeing all these like, (laughs) it's not real until it's on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I mean, talking to you and also seeing it on Instagram, you can feel the passion mm-hmm. oh, that you guys so share. Sweet. Is Colin different? Like your love with Colin different? And oh. is it him or is it you, what you've learned along the way through your dating and love journey? No, it's it's 100% different. And it's crazy because I think it's, you know, like we talked about love languages before, but yeah. we connect on kind of the love language side. Colin shared this already, so I, I don't feel like I'm intruding his privacy or anything. But, you know, he lost his, his mother when he was really young. Oh. She had cancer, and I think she passed when he was eight. Oh uh, but, you know, kind of having that be a part of his life, his relationship with love is very different from my relationship with love. And his love language is very, he's a physical touch guy, um, not in, you know, in, in a kind of you know, overly sexual way. Yeah. We're not talking about that, right? Um, oh, we are too, but we're not, right? <laughs> but, hey, no. the passion is uh, real. Yeah. But I, I, I think he, he was missing a lot of that growing up, you know, not having kind of that bond with his mother and everything. So that became a principal love language that really was the foundation of how he views love is that how close is this person to him? You know, how can, can I go over and hold her hand? Can I sit next to her? Mm. It's like this, this ability for him to feel comforted in close proximity with someone yeah. at all times. And that gives him just the feeling of comfort and, and security, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should give um, some people who don't know what love language is. <laughs> Because, like, I learned love language from Wendy, so I feel like she'd be the best person to kind of describe what love language is. You know, so I think it was, oh my gosh, like four or five years ago, I read this book, and it's called Five Love Languages, and it just described people, how they identify what it means to be loved, and also how to give love. So in the book, it outlines five different love languages. The first is physical touch. And again, it's just the closeness and the proximity that you have with this person that you love. It's mm-hmm. holding hands. It's arm wrap around each other. It's knowing that they're, they're physically close by and you can, can count on that. Uh, two is acts of service. 
So the way they give love or the way they um, receive love is you know, acts of service. So can I get you a cup of coffee in the morning? You're sick. Can I cook you something to eat? A third is words of affirmation. So just reminding this other person that you love them, that you care about them, that they're good enough or you know, they're, they're doing great, whatever it is. The fourth one is a quality time. So just spending just that in its own gives you so much happiness. Just spending quality time, no phones, no TVs, and just really investing just quality time in the conversation and interaction. And a fifth is gifts. And that's exactly it, just gifts, you know? And, you know, so a true, this is really funny because I get a lot of girlfriends going, I'm a gift girl. I'm like, no, no, you're really not. Um, no, no. So the, the true meaning of gifts as your love language is it doesn't matter how large or how expensive the gift is. It's literally, I can give you a piece of paper and I wrote something on it. And to you, that's interpreted as a gift. You know, yes. And that makes you completely happy. You know, It doesn't have to be you know, a Chanel bag or a car or whatever it is. Right. You know, But a true gift person loves just little physical things that remind them of the other person. Right. It's like that person took the time and consideration and thought of you to, to get that for you. Correct. So, yeah, Correct. yeah. And I think love language is too, like, I don't think you have one love language. I think you can have actually multiple love language, but it's how you prioritize the love language. So, like, for example, for me, I'm a words of affirmation girl. And um, the reason is that I feel like I'm very, very critical of myself. Like, I'm always questioning, you know, am I, am I doing this well enough or can I do more or whatever it is? So because I'm so critical of myself, my negative thoughts kind of run away with me. Like I can sit there and kind of wallow in that. Mm, So having someone that can help me get me out of that zone or give me a words of encouragement completely makes my day. You know, just simply saying, you know, that's great. Like (laughs) that was amazing. You were, yeah. yeah, Good job. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah. When Wendy was telling me about it, it was, if your partner receives love in a different way than you do, you should really take note of that. Because for me, my number one is acts of service. So I receive it, like, if Jack does something for me, it really does mean a lot because when I'm really stressed out, I'm at my weakest point when I'm just, like, scatterbrained, like, it's too much. It means so much if not only Jack or any person in my life will take the time and be like, oh, my gosh, let me help you with that. You know, even mm-hmm. something like, like, the greatest thing that I think Jack does is, like, he does laundry. <laughs> I, I hate laundry. I, like that's the one thing I was put off, and it's just always a burden to me. But to him, it's not a big deal. Right. And but he also knows that it saves me so much aggravation if he does it, and we do mm-hmm. it together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And even something like a simple act like that means so much to me, and that's how I intake love. Yeah. And when he does that, it means so much more than so the the, the lowest love language on my list was quality time (laughs) and I don't know if it just pertains to me and Jack specifically because we're together a lot so on the scale it's not as high of a priority to me yeah so yeah I, I think what's the most when I read this book what was the most compelling part was that it's not only how you understand how you receive love, but how you give love and how you match that to whoever you're dating. So understanding Colin's love language was instrumental to how I can be a better person for him. That is kind of flat out what it is. And in my past relationships, when love languages don't necessarily connect, 
it was a lot of misfiring. I'm not the best at giving acts of service. I'm much better at giving words of affirmation. But, you know, mm-hmm. that person that I was dating needed acts of service. And I kept on giving out words of affirmation. And yeah. so they, they, they didn't receive it the same way I thought they would. And it was really hard for me to do an act. that My nature is not kind of like that. So misfiring was a real headache in our relationship because we, we were just, we kept on fighting over things that were like, wait a minute, you know, I thought you appreciate that and you really didn't. And it has nothing to do with uh, depreciation, but I think it's just, we were just not speaking the same language really. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember you saying your ex was an access service guy. Mm-hmm. So when he would do things for you, you wouldn't receive it in the way that he would want, like as in he'd, yeah. he'd, he'd, he'd expect like a, oh my God, thank you so much. That wasn't your love language. Yeah. So you're just like, oh, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he's yeah, like, a thank you, uh, dot. <laughs> like a period, not yeah, exclamation mark. Yeah. Uh, but it's not know, that you didn't it, appreciate it. It's just, mm-hmm. it wasn't on the same level. Yeah. Right. Well, Gina, right. what's your love language? Um, mine's quality time. It's one of those things where, I don't know, maybe it's just where I am in my life. So when my friends or someone that I'm dating takes that time away from their busy schedule, it means a lot to me. And that quality time doesn't necessarily need to mean like, oh, we go on a trip or an adventure. It could literally just be me and my friend, each of us like on our own laptops, doing our own thing, just being able to spend that time or having someone set aside that time for me. I think that means a lot to me. The other thing too, though, is words of affirmation, like looking back at my childhood, that was the way that my parents always responded. Like my dad would say like, oh, I'm proud of you. And so I think I respond to kind of those two things really well. Yeah. Just talking about and hearing about your childhood, it's, I think it's so fascinating that as adults, whatever happens in our childhood, either we gravitate towards it, meaning if you had words of affirmation when you were younger, you want it as an adult, or we seek it because we didn't get it. You know, I yeah. never had words of affirmation when I was growing up. So now I like I seek it. So it's like it's so strange that us as human beings, we need certain things that are missing from our adult uh, in yeah. our childhood or we seek it, you know? See, I, I realize that physical touch for me because our family wasn't and still isn't a very touchy family. <laughs> and now growing as an adult, I realize there's some such girlfriends that are just very just they'll, they'll reach out and they'll touch yeah. you and, and it, it feels nice you know and I, I realize that how how untouchy <laughs> no I realize that too I have friends that when I meet up with them they'll like put their head on my shoulder or they're yeah. like link arms and I'm like oh where do I put my hands <laughs> no I, I think that's where like we start to learn right yeah. now so now with this love language and I have it in the, kind of in, in the back of my head. Whenever I interact with anyone, women or men, I go, oh, I think her love language is more of this. So if can I provide that for her? You know, and this is just, you know, girlfriends where if I know hers is a force of affirmation, when I see her, I'll make sure, like, oh, I'll tell her, like, oh, you know, the last collection that you designed, it was like, incredible. Like, I loved it. You know, like, it's like, just like, and, and genuinely, not like just saying that because you're being nice. I think just being aware of how people receive love has taught me a better understanding of what love is in general. And it takes takes shapes in many different forms. Yeah, I I totally get that because now with family, it's on another level where Mm -hmm. after you told me that my mom and them would always, you know, as they get older, they're always like, oh, you never have time for us. You guys are always so busy. And you get wrapped up in your own lives and you're like, mom, I have a career, you know, I have like things that I'm trying to do. But then I realized, ah, that is their love language. Quality, Quality time. time. Right? Quality, Quality time. time. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like nowadays, I will sit out there as my dad is planting <laughs> his like, you know, his vegetables. And I just talk to him and and just stuff that he wants to talk about. Because I, I know that that's the time that 
if and when either of us pass, we're never going to get that again. So this is the time to be like, oh, dad, tell me about, you know, when you're growing up, how was it in Mm -hmm. school? And Mm -hmm. yeah, I love how love language is, like you said, it's not just in a romantic sense, but all types of relationships and and, And, like strangers. Exactly. No, absolutely. And I think it, it changes through time. You know, right. as you get older, maybe quality time is a much more of a priority love language than words of affirmation. I think it's it's not like concrete. It's, it definitely can mature and move to a different type of language. Yeah. And as you better know yourself and grow and evolve as a person, I feel you understand what you need mm-hmm. as well and what you can give. What you're Because like if you're going to be in a relationship that, I say in a romantic one, that person needs this and you keep catering you keep catering and it's gonna suck everything that you have Mm -hmm. within you you feel empty how can you give anymore Mm -hmm. and at that point you might have to just be honest with yourself and be like this is not the way that I can give love honestly Mm -hmm. and maybe open up that space for your partner to find someone who can and you vice versa right Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> Introduce me to love language. And um, no, it's, it's it so really helpful. has shaped. It, it helps like in every facet. Like I think in my life, friends, loved ones, animals, like everything. And it's just, yeah. I feel like you just become a little bit more kind of aware of your surroundings and you're more aware of the other person's kind of emotional state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I also wanted to end with the, going back to the idea of soulmates. I mm-hmm. love how Wendy has said that you believe that you can be soulmates with a city. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, absolutely. And um, I love to know, is New York your, your you know, soulmate I hope city? so. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because when I was in L.A., I, I really struggled in L.A., maybe because I never felt like I was home. Mm-hmm. Like, when I travel for work and come home, I felt like I was going back to, like, an apartment, like a space. But when I land, I never feel like, oh, I'm so happy I'm home, you know? Mm. And I feel that way in New York. Like, whenever I go out and I come back home, I'm always like, oh, I'm so happy I'm, I'm home. So I think that connection with the city, like, I've never felt that way about L.A. So it, it must mean something that mm-hmm. I feel this way about New York. Mm-hmm. So I think when you call a city your home, there has to be some type of kind of almost emotional attachment to that city. That's so interesting. How long have you been here now? Oh my goodness. Almost a year. Almost a year. So I've been here for three years. Do you feel that way? A little bit. Yes. I think that for me, I felt like I was lacking a community here. And just as I was saying that all these people started flooding into my life where they, Hey, let's go get dinner. Hey, let's go meet up and do this. And I felt that spark again where I was like, okay, for now, like New York is still where I want to be and how I envision myself growing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think that's what I love most about New York is that I feel like it gives you the permission just to be as you are. You can have dinner on your own and nobody cares. You know, yes. Right? Like you can go to a party and nobody cares what you do. Yeah. And, or, or like where you're from. Nothing. It's just they, they take you as you are. As long as you and them have a connection, that's really the core of it, you know? You can be having a terrible day, but then walk into the park. And I remember I was at Madison Square Park and there's this like old man with just like a mic and a boom box and he was just singing and his voice was so beautiful. I just stopped in my tracks. And I stood there and I was like, 
Wow. I think it's always moments like that where I'm like, okay, I need to kind of slow down because the pace of the city is just so quick. Sometimes it's moments like those where you can really stop and smell the roses, essentially. Listen to an old man singing on the street. Listen to a guy play on a grand piano in the middle of a park. It really is like a very magical city. And I've learned that this city is a really good avenue of finding yourself. It it provides a strangely safe place for you to kind of be who you want to be or do what you want to do in that sense. Without the expectations of other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have like a bunch of listeners moving to New York after (laughs) listening to you guys. You guys just sold it. Please come, (laughs) come. I I think that it's very inspirational to hear that, especially for some people who feel like they want to make the move somewhere. Especially some people who are stuck in a city and they feel uninspired and the lackluster of life. Maybe it's the city. Maybe it's a change of scenery that you need. I think that's why people always encourage others to travel because you kind of get a taste of that. Mm -hmm. And I know traveling is different than like picking your life up and moving into a new city. But I don't, for both of your guys' experience doing that, were you scared to do that? What, what made you both have like the gumption and the bravery to just take the risk and do it? I think for me, I had visited New York before I moved out here. And I remember lugging my luggage through the subway and I walked out of Grand Central and I looked up and I was like, I'm meant to be here. Oh. Like, I just had that feeling and I never, I am a very like gut feeling type of person and I never felt something so strong before. And so that's kind of what drove me in that sense. It was easy for me because I had that gut feeling. And, you know, as I said, the first couple months were not as smooth sailing, but it was that I need to be there feeling that really drove me out here. You know, I've always wanted to live here and I'm kind of happy that I chose at this age to move here. I think it would be different if I was younger or if I was older. It's it's good also to be in a city that you don't want to be in because then you know you don't want to be there. Like, I remember in L.A., I was like, you know, if I'm going to be growing old here, like, I want to be in a city that I actually really enjoy. So that kind of was the catalyst of me wanting to to get over here. But I I, I love, love my job, and I feel like my job gives me the ability to see the city and to experience it, which is, I'm, I'm very lucky to have that so far. It's been amazing. Are there any tips that you guys would say, like the more of the realities, because everything that you guys said sounds amazing, but I know some people, when they actually move to a city, it's not as magical mm-hmm. as they first think it would be. And then what are some things that you guys would say in terms like, oh, give it at least mm-hmm. three months, or you should really try to get to know the city in this way. Like what type of things would you guys say to people who, you know, want to experience that with yeah. their city, but they're just not there yet. You know, I, with their city I heard soulmate. that in LA, people were telling me, give it three to five years. So oh, I was just like, okay, oh. so I gave it five years. I gave LA five years. I listened, I gave it, and it just didn't resonate with me. And then now I'm in New York and I love it. But I think time is really what the biggest factor is. Like, I think you have to give it time and then, but you know, honestly though, if you don't like a city right off the bat or like even the first few months, give it time. But if you still have that feeling over a year or two, mm-hmm. maybe it's just, it's like a relationship, right? It's yeah, like, it's not yeah. meant to be, it's fine. Like, mm-hmm. let's get up and go somewhere else that makes you feel like you belong with that person, that city or whatever it is. Yeah, I think that especially mm-hmm. with a city like New York, 
that so many people dream about, everybody's really starry-eyed. And even moving here was really starry-eyed. But I think that my relationship with New York has always been very, like, up and down because I'll be super excited about it and then I'll be like oh I just want to stay at home and watch Netflix and not do anything that's perfectly okay yeah because yeah. it gets su- I, I do have to say that New York for me personally gets really overwhelming that kind of daily lifestyle of like kind of pushing and shoving your mm-hmm. way through the streets and always this hustle and bustle and there's always people around you but at the same time I really like that hustle and bustle because then it brings all these people in my, into my life that I wouldn't have met otherwise so I agree on that with the timing thing and I think that the most important part is really being true to yourself mm-hmm. I think for people that are out there who might be you know, maybe at a crossroads in your life where you might be going to a college out of state, you're thinking about it, or you might be uh, considering a job that you have to move away from. I think you should really consider what Regina and Wendy are saying, because I know taking that big step could be very intimidating. And you're like, I'm not sure if I would like the city. But then I always think it's great if you're given the opportunity to see more of the world, because you can learn more about different cultures, different people, and in Mm -hmm. turn, learn more about yourself. Yeah, but just taking into consideration what both these amazing women who have experienced <laughs> and their soulmate city, I feel like that is the goal. If you're able to, financially able to, and the opportunity presents itself, these are really great tips to, to consider. Yeah, so, I mean, I feel like this conversation could go on forever. <laughs> I, we were anticipating this conversation being a long one because I think every subject that we talked about, that could be an episode in itself. But we've already talked about it with Wendy beforehand that we want to invite her back and to share more about what she's working on. And she's doing some amazing, inspirational so things. So inspiring. Like, you were cha- you. I mean, you've already changed the world, but I feel like Stop. the more that you know, no, honestly, you're... You're doing such great things to bring awareness to subjects and life that I think people need to know about. I Just getting to know you really have opened my eyes to a lot of things that I've never, ever known. And it's made me more compassionate to other people's lives. And that, that's really because you helped me open my eyes to it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about soulmates <laughs> and, you know, in relationships and love language. Well, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. I don't really get to talk about, you know, this with other humans. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about with Sherlock and Sam. Yeah, yeah tell what I think. <laughs> So thank you guys all for listening to another episode of Perfectly Imperfect. We'll definitely have Wendy back because this was so much fun. Um, And thank you for kicking it off as our first guest on the show. If you guys have any questions that you have for Wendy for our next episode with her, definitely email us at theperfectlyimperfectpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be leaving all the information in the description below. Be sure to follow Wendy. Her photos are incredible. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for having me. Yay! Bye! Bye. Bye.